What is it about? What is it all about? What is it all what about? What is it about? What is it all is about, it about for you? What is it all about for you? Welcome to In Between. In this episode, the focus lies on the question, what is it all about for you? A question I would like to explore in many different aspects, situations and levels of life. And I think it kind of started or came to me when Adeline, the person I interviewed in the last podcast, Living in a Gap, uh, when I was in conversation with her about doing the podcast and we used to send each other voice messages and in one of the voice messages she asked me, so before I say yes, like tell me a little bit about your podcast, like what is it all about, what is the goal of your podcast, like what is it all about for you, this podcast? And I remember I was sitting at the edge of the forest on my favorite bench and Then I kind of, no one had asked me this question in a while and I had to think about it and I realized how it started as one thing, but how the whole thing is kind of a process. Like it was so difficult for me to say like, what's the goal or what is it? Because for me, it feels like it's constantly in transition. It probably started as a way of, of portraying my travel to India, like my going back to India, my other life in India, but also a way to portray my PhD or let's say the search for a job topic for my PhD but also kind of I never liked the idea of a PhD having to be something you do all by yourself in a chamber for years but I always kind of wanted it to be something that sparks dialogue where other people can talk about as well and also on some level it was always important for me to kind of bridge the gap from the academic ivory tower to the masses of people especially like my friends and relatives uh, who are not part of the academic world for whom they wouldn't like to read a whole paper written by me, but for whom who still probably have interesting thoughts and things to talk about when they hear about what my topic is and what kind of things I do for my PhD, for my research and what are the questions I'm wondering. So I wanted to find another format to bring this yeah, this PhD topic, but also social anthropological reflections to the masses in a way so everyone could participate in that dialogue and that thinking together and everything. And yeah, I wanted it to be a platform to do exactly that. I think in many ways, it was also a medium to process my thoughts. My being in between, like the going back and forth, the whole emotional and things that sparks the all the many thoughts and reflections I kind of wanted to have a yeah a vehicle through which I could process this but still I feel like it's a process I can't tell you what's the goal of my podcast or this is it because I think it's gonna it already has changed many times from just me talking to me interviewing people to completely other formats with more literature in it to this and that and I think I wanted to change many more times like to experiment with different formats and all. But at the same time, I've been a bit in a phase where I'm a bit unsure in which direction my podcast should go, in which I am wondering what I could make better, what I could change, or uh, how I could make my podcast more interesting for people who are not so interested in India, like what I could change and do. And I think at this moment, you, whoever you are, wherever you are, 
who is listening to this, I would really appreciate to hear some feedback from you. What do you like? What do you not like? What do you find boring? What would be interesting? What could be different? Because uh, I feel like podcasting sometimes is such a, again, it's kind of a one-sided thing because I'm sitting here <laughs> in a room full of, in a, yeah, in a room and I'm talking out there. I kind of had an have an audience in mind, but Still, there's never a dialogue. There's never something coming back or very rarely. So if you have any feedback, I think it would really help me at this point in my life, in my podcast creation, if you share that with me via email or WhatsApp or whatever. I think that would be helpful. But uh, let's go back to that bench <laughs> and that question. Because it really reminded me of another discussion I had with Dave, my boyfriend. Uh, he's going to be part of this episode again later. And I remember how he told me about his art studies, about how more and more whenever he wanted to start a new art project, how his professors and all the advisors always asked him, but what is the project about for you? And while earlier this question helped him to figure out what he wanted or it I don't know it pushed him to go in different directions more and more he started to experience this question as limiting in the sense that he felt like you know like it limited him in just creating art because he always felt like stopped and limited and oh no but I don't know what it's about for me or ah, what is it like he completely became kind of blocked because of it and somehow out of this conversation we started to talk about the same question, what is it all about for you? Or also maybe in the sense of what are you really interested in? Um, to widen it and think about our lives. So we thought about our lives and what is like the common theme that runs through our lives, through our interests, through everything. Like for me, it became clear very soon that for me it's connection. In all my hobbies, be it Argentinian tango or partner acrobatics, it's all about connection with another person the same in my studies in social anthropology. I'm interested to understand other people, to do life story interviews with them, to really connect with them and understand them like truly. So connection is like my thing. And I had a similar discussion with Adeline and she told me that, yeah, especially as a tango teacher, connection used to be her thing as well. But that these days in the last couple of years, it had changed that by now, when it used to be connecting with another person, now it's kind of refocusing on herself like not completely vanishing or melting away in this connection with someone else but clearly refocusing on yourself and I found it interesting to think that your topic or your team of your life can actually change and since that I had this conversation with many more people and it always sparked very interesting dialogues and uh, ideas when wondering like yeah, what is it all about? What is your life all about? The things that interest you. When I was wondering about what is my podcast all about, of course, at the same time, I'm always wondering what is my research project all about? What is my PhD all about? And more and more, I realized that these things kind of came closer together in the sense that I called my podcast in between a long time ago and that was really a very random choice and by now more and more I realized that this being in between has become a kind of a thing in the last couple of years in which I am really interested in. 
I'm interested how people live in this in-between position, what happens in this in-between and so on. And more and more I realized that I think that could be a topic I could imagine to work on the next five years or whatever, however long my PhD is going to take. And that brings me to the next small topic I want to talk about. Um, where is my research at that point? What topic have I decided for? And yeah, it's just so interesting how everything suddenly kind of comes together. Like again, under this question, well, actually it's always about the very same thing in different aspects of my life. Well, so in the last weeks and months, I had been thinking about what I'm actually interested in, how could I research that in the best possible way. I had been writing, discussing, rewriting, rearranging and thinking about my topic a long time. And it's not such a long time ago that I kind of brought together four different stories or four different examples in which I feel like it's always about the same thing, exactly the same thing I'm interested in and I want to do research about. And I will try to share these examples with you to give you kind of a sense of what I mean. So the first one is about this group in Delhi of ladies from Germany, Switzerland and Austria who have all married Indian men. A friend of mine who is part of the group told me about the group and what I found interesting is that they meet, they talk about things like what is home, what does it mean, they share their experiences but also she told me that some of these women had been in India for decades. Some of the women's husbands, Indian husbands, have already died but the women are still there so they, there is some kind of very deep attachment to India, to the country which keeps them there, which I found very interesting. Uh, very similarly, of course, also the story of Adeline, which I was talking about in the last episode of this uh, couple relationship, which uh, in the end didn't work because the moral differences were just too big and the couple was unable to bridge them. But they're the same thing. When she went back to Germany, she didn't really feel comfortable there. When she was in India, she also couldn't live there anymore. So that was another similar story that interested me. And I think the example which is like the most, which brings it the point home the most, is one of a small pre-study I did in Switzerland. Since I was already interested in mixed couples or mixed couple relationships, I tried to talk to a couple of mixed couples to find out what I'm actually interested in. And there was one couple, a Swiss girl and a young man from the Middle East. He had come to Switzerland about five years ago as a refugee. And already there, I realized that actually somehow the individual always seems to interest me a lot more than the couple because his story I found fascinating. So on the one hand, like talking to him in perfect Swiss German, he kind of displayed all the typical Swiss values in a way that just impressed me a lot. And he told me how he has some Middle Eastern friends as well in Switzerland and how there he's always the one who is too Swiss, who is scolding them to not be so loud, be better adapted, do this, do that. Uh, so they think he has become too Swiss. He thinks they haven't adapted enough. At the same time, 
he told me about especially certain things in the couple relationship which are still which he has to compromise which are hard to adjust for him because the values or the ideas about relationships about love about women are so different with which he has grown up so he's still kind of adjusting and compromising there but at the same time when I asked him like what about going back to his place of origin he said that he could go there for a holiday but like living there he feels that by now he has changed a lot he feels like he started to kind of start to see the world with two pairs of eyes very similar to how I used to describe it and kind of he couldn't go back he simply said it would be really hard for him because he has changed so much his worldview his mindset has changed yeah that also entails so many of the things I'm interested in and the last example is one of a book I've been reading recently and there it's about a character from a very poor neighborhood in Naples And uh, she, through education and through her marriage to an influential man, she becomes more and more part of the educated upper class. And it's interesting, like, while she enters that some new social class, she always sees it and describes it still with the eyes of a person who has grown up in poverty. But slowly, over, like, four books, <laughs> you start to see the changes in that very character and start to notice how... By now, whenever she goes back to her where she grew up, she starts to see the same neighborhood with the eyes of an upper class person. There are certain things with which she cannot deal anymore. And she starts to be really out of place in both worlds and be kind of in between and especially on a class kind of level. And I, yeah, again, I found it so interesting and I would argue that in all of these four examples, My interest lies in a very similar thing. They are talking about the same thing. So I'm interested in individuals in between, meaning individuals between social contexts. But somehow I knew that I had to make the cases of these individuals kind of compatible. Even though I know now that the individual is more interesting for me, I still feel that the couple relationship is a very good kind of common point of contact for this intensive engagement with another social context so I decided to keep that and that context that can be a national one or if we think more about relationships in India between different Indian people that can be a context which is the new context is maybe regional it has to do with religion with caste with class with maybe something completely different and the questions I'm asking is like How do you practically live in such an in-between position? How do you navigate it? How do you reflect about it? How does it happen? Do you have two pairs of eyes, two selves? What kind of changes or processes of change do these individuals undergo, especially on the levels of self-understanding and felt belonging? Where do they feel they belong to? How do they understand themselves? Of course, I'm also interested in the moral differences, which are too hard to bridge. And also that reoccurring fact of not being able to go back for some reason. That only after a very intensive contact of a couple of years, suddenly something changes so much in you that you cannot go back or can't see the place you have come from with the same eyes. I find this so interesting. 
By now, my whole research is pretty open, so I don't want to give more parameters. I will see what kind of couples I find, maybe something I am not expecting at all. But one thing is sure, I will have to describe and theorize and understand more this in-between position I'm so interested in. I... Yeah, I will again and again have to ask myself, like, what, what is this position all about? What exactly do I want to research there and how am I going to do it? And then in a very different context, it was again all about the same question. What is it all about this time, not only for me, but for us? I'm talking about a holiday on which I went this summer. It's kind of a look back to that holiday, which I went on with my boyfriend, David Nivenecker. I call him Dave. And actually, everything was planned completely differently. But somehow, <laughs> we ended up going to Rome. And I realized that I haven't been on a real classic tourist trip in a very long time. In the sense that I'm going to a city where I know completely no one and I don't even try to, as usual, like try to get in contact with locals by pursuing all my different hobbies. But I'm really just going there as a tourist to do sightseeing and look at the city, observe the city in a completely touristic way. But uh, this trip gave us a lot of opportunity to think about the tourist industry and uh, the being a tourist in general, because I also realized that most of my life I've only been a tourist in overseas. And now to have the opportunity to observe the same industry in Europe, I found that very interesting. And all the thoughts we had about traveling, being a tourist and the city of Rome, you're going to hear right now. So it became quickly obvious why Rome has established itself as one of the main touristic hotspots in the world. There are not many cities that have so many leftovers from their past history to offer like Rome does. Churches, bridges, artworks that are a testimony to its ancient history. And somehow it was exactly that that kept reminding me of Delhi, where you also have a lot of ruins, temples and other buildings from the Mughal area or of different rulers that had been living in Delhi. And you have the same density of different testimonies from different eras of time. And I've always been kind of fascinated by this simultaneity. Like on the one hand, you have all these historical sites and buildings who tell stories from these long gone times. But at the same time, you have daily life that is flourishing in and around and all around these buildings. And somehow that these two things or these two times could exist in such a normal way right next to each other. Like this interweaving of times, I don't really know how to describe it, but this has always fascinated me. And here in Rome, it felt as if I was observing something very similar. And yeah, 
while we were wandering from side to side, we were going along with the established touristic track. But while playing along with it, it was still a foreign feeling to us, because in general, this is not the way we are used to travel. So that's why we started to reflect on the mechanism of the concept of tourism in relation to the places we were visiting. One thing we noticed is that there are so many parties involved. There are not only historical sites, there are the restaurants, promoters, the street vendors, the beggars. There's almost a sensory overload going on and we quickly had to develop strategies to deal with it. For example, when we got asked several times a day for money, we had to find a way to be immune to that, which felt like it brought out a side of ourselves that is less empathetic. Another thing that we reflected about was there's a whole machinery at work that is adjusted to the rhythmical flow of the stream of people moving. For example, in the neighborhood where we stayed, it was completely empty until afternoon. But on early evening, we could see people from the restaurants bringing out all the chairs and tables and promotion signs. And we could sense the quiet before the storm when we saw the waiter deeply inhaling their cigarettes in front of the terrace that soon should be densely crowded. And indeed, it didn't take long until the masses would stream in from every side to enter this neighborhood that seems to be known as the best place for having dinner. We observed the waiters removing like the dirt from the last night, the cigarette butts, the glasses, the drinks, and they were like cleaning up everything and preparing new tables and yeah, smoking. And it really felt like the quiet before the storm, as you have just said. It felt somehow as if the scenery was being set for all the tourists that we're going to come to see and experience La Dolce Vita and eat in one of these hundreds of cute little restaurantes and who would be sitting outside and eating pasta. And, and it was just so interesting because we were living in this neighborhood where during the day there was basically nothing happening. Maybe one kiosk, a small bakery, a small shop, that's it. But only in the evening there would be like real action and it would be bustling with people and everything and we found this kind of look behind the scenes so interesting when we were like observing the people living there preparing for the same thing for the same show basically every night and when we were reflecting about all that we were also thinking about what does it mean for the people who are living there and are involved in it? 
We don't think that the job description of a waiter tells a single word about the mechanism of tourism. So, are they aware that they are a gear in this machine? What are we looking for in a place as a tourist? What is it all about? It's obviously not just about the visit of that one site or to eat that one dish, but it seems to be about the wholesome experience that you just described as La Dolce Vita. And it seemed to us as if during holidays one is always somehow occupied with trying to find a certain feel of life, a certain Lebensgefühl, a feeling that one needs to find and experience exactly here in precisely this way, be it La Dolce Vita or whatever else. One has to find it, consume it, conquer it, own it, feel it and exactly this machinery of tourism, this scenery seems to cater to exactly that. It tries to sell this feel of life, tries to fill this Dolce Vita into small limoncello souvenir bottles, sticks it onto magnets, ties it to keyrings, packs it into boxes and tries to capture it on posters. Actually what it tries to sell is a certain form of experiences like experiencing a tour against cost or some food. It tries to sell again and again the one thing we all, all of us visitors seem to be striving for. And often we didn't like it. We were disgusted to be part of this tourist mass. And still we encountered many moments or snapshots of people and places that seem to have stayed untouched by this whole tourism industry. For example, there was a street we passed several times every day and in the evening we always saw these two very old senoras sitting there and loudly debating, vividly debating and discussing things and for us they kind of became part of that place. And there were many observations like this one. For example, an old man in a church who sat there with his eyes closed, his gaze or his focus directed inwards without seeing all the magnificent frescoes that were surrounding him. But he was just sitting there and like mumbling and praying. And it was such a, I don't know, such a touching image somehow. Or all these old men that were smoking their cigars while skillfully maneuvering their Vespas through the tiniest of alleys. There were always such images and observations that were embodying exactly that feel of life we were looking for somehow. And I also asked myself, how long do you need to live at a place, to become part of it, to kind of constitute it and, and to be interwoven with it and to be part of its heart and soul and really become part of that place and part of that feel of life? Interestingly, there seems to be an established conception at which time a place is accessible for the touristic masses. For example, we passed by the Colosseum two days in a row. The first time we were visiting the site itself and the second time we just passed by in the early morning. At the first time 
we were also part of those masses who were standing in lines and there were also promoters, street vendors, the security stuff was around. And we just thought that they are part of the identity of the Colosseum itself. But when we passed by the second time, the next day, on a different daytime, the area was empty and the Colosseum was almost unrecognizable to us. Like a different place, because we attached the surrounding to the building itself. Or a similar experience occurred to us when we were taking a walk through the Vatican neighborhood one evening. Also there, the mood was so different from the one we saw in the day somehow. Like the, the churches and bridges were illuminated and there were couples sitting on walls and uh, holding hands and flirting. There were other people taking night walks and there was a harp player who was like filling the streets with a very etheric kind of music and of course there was the river, the Tiber and that river had a kind of a beautiful passage uh, which seemed to be really made for like uh, driving there with the bicycle or like taking a walk there but it was like completely empty at that time and we were just wandering like at the riverside by ourselves and it was so special because in that moment the city was just ours or the face of the city that we saw at that moment, it was so different from the one we had seen during the day. And it also was different than everything we had come to know of the city so far. And what you just described with discovering our Rome, aren't we most of the time hoping for something unexpected to happen when we travel? And in such small, unexpected moments where the small discoveries within the city are made, they seem to be the most authentic ones. I get a feeling that if I would be living here, I would find myself walking along exactly this riverside. One of those unexpected moments where it seemed like we discovered our Rome was when we were walking around the area where the Pantheon is, we already noticed this spectacular building from far away. And when we were standing in front of it, we saw that it was open to the public and somehow it pulled us in. As soon as we were inside, the mood changed immediately. We were inside a dome that was very spacious and it was decorated extravagantly. But what took our breath away were the frescoes on the wall that were extended all across the ceiling. It was like a painting that stretched into the third dimension. It displayed so we speculated the image of the doomsday. You could see 
all the angels coming down to earth to take the people who were worthy to go to heaven. What's interesting is this Christian narrative of being taken to heaven, I thought, is a celebrated concept. Something that I had always as a cheerful image in mind. But the way it was displayed in there was a horrifying, dreadful image. Because the faces of all the people had this terrified emotion in their face. And this was executed by the painters so brilliantly that it sparked my mirror synapses in a way that I felt their exact emotions too. And by looking up the ceiling that was so high, I felt this vertigo going on inside of me that was directed to heaven. And what really impressed me was how the architects played with this 3D effect. Because depending on where I was standing, it really looked as if the church's ceiling was going up into, into the eternity, into heaven, into the clouds. And some figures, like some people, seemed to be already further up than others. And it looked like a whole new space was opening up over my head, basically. And the fact that just with the skill of painting, it is possible to create something like this, something 3D like this, I, I found really astonishing. Because I think I definitely have never seen something like this before. And you have to imagine that the wall painting had such a sensational effect on us, even though we are not religious. So what does it mean when this impressive image is attached to your belief system? What a strong effect must it have? And while we were walking around the church and admiring it, I observed some people sitting and praying with closed eyes. And I looked at the confessional box and I was wondering, what kind of people are they? What kind of lives do they lead? And who are the people coming into this church every Sunday, confessing their secrets and their sins? And yeah, who are they? And... When we left the church and boarded a bus, I saw in the back of the bus a very young nun sitting and uh, being busy with her smartphone. And again, I was wondering, what kind of a person is she? What kind of a life does she have? And what are her dreams? What is she Googling? And somehow I'm noticing that back in the days, I was often wondering, like, how would it be to travel to this or that place? And how would it be to be at this destination? But it's been a while now that I am noticing that upon arriving at the destination, the questions I have changed. They have become more complex. How is it to live here? What does it mean to have been socialized here? And how is it when all of these places and buildings are part of your daily routine, part of your daily life? And it is interesting how it's always again and again the lives of people that fascinate me, no matter where I go and who I meet there. Mm. 